No matter what happens, the narrative is all orchestrated by God to accomplish his will. So take comfort in knowing that God is orchestrating my life, but it's so much bigger than that. All those things that we see that's going on in the world that we can't control, that we can't touch, that we sometimes get discouraged by, God is orchestrating all of that. And it's all tying into my individual life and Naya's individual life and Jaylene's individual life. All that's tying in because God's will is going to be accomplished because God is sovereign. He set this thing off. He's going to bring this thing to the end, even all the way to the crushing of Satan and his demons and his devices to the end. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for August 26, 2018. Today, Pastor Olu brings us part two of his message called World Engines, Daniel, Introduction to Prophecy. Pastor Olu teaches us on the very first prophecy in the Bible in the book of Genesis. He teaches us how the prophecy that there would be issues and problems between Satan and mankind all came true. He reminds us that because these prophecies have come to pass, we can trust that God is working on all things together to carry out his plan. Pastor Olu says God is working the larger events of history, weaving them into his plan so that no matter what happens, everything is orchestrated to accomplish God's will. Now he'll be reading from the book of Genesis, so grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's word here on Followers of the Way. We're in the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 7, going through. Uh, last week we did kind of introduction to a prophecy, biblical prophecy. We talked about some things. At the end of last message, we talked about the different probabilities and the statistics about um, Jesus and the fact that this wasn't by chance, the fact that the way that the Bible uses prophecy, the way that it establishes the fact of God, it, it authenticates the deity of Christ, and it demonstrates the truthfulness, reliability, and inspiration of the Bible, and how that it gives us encouragement and hope today. And we, we talked about a couple of those things of how uh, we know the word of God is true by so many things, but one of the main things is the prophecies that it has. The fact that God has shown us or predicted things that were going to happen, and they happen as they did. We talked a little about Jesus, the 500 specific prophecies about his first coming. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, lived in Egypt. There were so many different prophecies that the Bible said in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled when he came. And looking at that, the other piece of those prophecies is looking at the second coming. And we know that Christ is coming again. We know that because when he left the first time, he literally said, I'll come back again. <laughs> and I'll come and get you. I'm going, remember he said, I'm going to build some houses and going to build some mansions. And then I'll come back and get you. And then you can come live with me. And where I am there, you will be also. He said those things. Also, after he died and rose from the dead, he was, and he was leaving. The Bible says he was leaving in the front of his uh, disciples and the people that were there. And they saw him going up into heaven. And two angels showed up and said, why stand ye here gazing? I'm speaking King James, because that's what I memorized. Why stand ye here gazing? The same manner that you saw Jesus go up, he will come down again. And so the Bible tells us that Christ is coming again. We call it the second coming of Christ. Well, the reason I bring that up, because the scripture also prophesies about that. Not, about that. not only did Jesus say he was coming back, 
Not only did the angels say he was coming back, but when we look throughout scriptures, there are 1,845 references in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ coming back again the second time. And the significance of that is if all these other prophecies about Christ that were shared came true, why not believe the other prophecies that talk about his second coming back? 17 books in the Bible, total of 17 books, give the second coming of Christ prominence. They really talk about that. That's their main focus. 260 chapters of the New Testament. And there are 300 in those 260 chapters. There are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. 23 of the 27 New Testament books talk about Jesus coming again. And for every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight more looking toward his second. The significance of that is that Christ is coming again. He said he would. The angel said he would. The Bible is filled with verses and prophecies saying he would. And so what Paul said in that, that that's where we have hope. He talked to the people in Thessalonians and he said the fact that Christ is coming again is a reason for us to have hope. It's a reason for us to keep going. It's a reason for us to live right because we know without a shadow of a doubt that Christ is coming again. And in that there is peace through our turmoil, in that there is hope for tomorrow, in that there's a confidence that Christ said and will do what he said he was going to do. The prophetic, I read this, the prophetic evidences for the Bible's trustworthiness are so overwhelming that anyone with a truly open mind will be compelled to consider the Bible's central message, the redemption in Jesus Christ. This is one of the main things I go to when I'm talking to uh, either atheists or I'm talking to people who uh, don't believe the Bible is true. It's interesting. When, when you get into witnessing conversations, like you were talking about, Ray, in your testimony, when you get into conversations with people be it face-to-face, be it Facebook, be it texting, whatever, it always comes back to that. When they want to get into spiritual conversations, it always comes back to what do you believe about the Bible and God because that sets everything off. I don't care what topic you're talking about, abortion, gender rights, uh, I don't care what you're talking about. Human rights, as Padilla was, is showing in the messages that he's preaching, no matter what you talk about, in order to have this conversation, it goes back to what you feel about God, what you believe about God, what you believe about the Bible. And so in my conversations with people, I'll teeter-totter a little bit. We'll go back and forth, a little bit of banter. But then I quickly get to, okay, well, we have two different worldviews. My worldview is the fact that God is creator of the world, and he's supreme, and he wrote a book, and he gave us this book with instructions of how we to live our life. And so my worldview is that I believe that because that these are the choices and decisions and the uh, uh, concepts that I believe and adhere to. So if you don't believe that those concepts, then we don't need to debate about A, B, C, or D. We need to come back to this and have this conversation because that's what it comes back to. And that's when either the person I'm talking to, oh, I don't want to get into that. Or, you know, they say, okay, well, let's go to that. And that's where we have the conversation because that's what it matters. Always, whenever you're talking to somebody, always bring them back to Christ. No matter what the topic is, no matter if it's a, a volatile topic, no matter what it is, just bring them back to Christ because that is where the power is. And that's when the Holy Spirit will step in and start convicting their hearts. The Bible says the word of God will never return void. And so bring them to Christ. Bring them to Christ. No matter what it is, you're talking to somebody who's a Jehovah Witness, bring them to Christ. Oh, we believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, according to the scriptures. 
Oh, why would you? No, that's what somebody told me. Oh, poor son. No, that's not what the Bible says. I said, well, yes, ma'am. The Bible does say that. And I pull out the scriptures. They say that he is, and I show her the scriptures. But it doesn't mean that. I said, okay, well, first let's go back to that's what it says, because you said it didn't say it. Now it says it. So now you're telling me what it means. And then we got into that conversation. But it's always good to bring them back to Christ, bring them back to the validity of the Bible, because that's the main thing. One of the, and one of the main things that really show that the Bible is true are the prophecies that are inside. So today, what I wanted to do, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book of Daniel. I know we're familiar with the first six chapters, but when you get to Daniel chapter 7, chapter the end, chapter 12, you get into the end times and the prophecies, and you got beasts coming out of oceans with horns, and you got uh, horns killing other horns, and you got animals with iron teeth, grills, and I call them the 504 beasts because they got grills in their mouth. They got all this stuff happening and going on. And it correlates directly with what goes on in Revelation. When you're talking about beasts and women in the sky and giving birth to babies and four-headed, dra seven-headed dragons coming out. So all this imagery and beasts uh, are reflecting what's going to happen in the future happens in Daniel. So what happens in Daniel is that a lot of theologians, Bible scholars, contemporary uh, conservative or liberal, they get into a lot of debates, a lot of discussions, a lot of arguments about what does this mean? Or what does that mean? Oh, explain this. Or how does this tie to this? Which is good because God put it there for a reason. And I don't, I love going into those conversations about what it means. In our scenario, I don't think, at least now, I don't think I'm going to dive, dive, dive down deep into the weeds of every single thing. He's going to come up uh, talk about a beast uh, that has 10 horns. Then a little horn is going to come up and devour two of the horns, and the little horn is going to do something. So I don't think that I'm going to get into deep into what that horn is or who I believe the horn is and how the horn interacts with this and that. I may get into it. We'll let the Holy Spirit lead. I want to make sure in this setting, because that's more like a Bible study setting. You know, we, we chop it up. We break it down. We're already in, you know, it's taking us, what, a couple of weeks to get to chapter seven, I think, just, just a couple of weeks. So when you go, if you go break down this stuff, you're talking months, like on a chapter, which I love to do, but it's more like a Bible study question back and forth uh, type thing. So what I want to do for seven through 12 in Daniel is look at why did God put it here? What is it that God wanted us to know? What was the significance about it? And we can, and I will get into some of it, but and we can definitely get into that. But I want to make sure that we don't get the reason I'm saying this is I don't I want to make sure that we don't get caught up too much into the minute, specific, uh, basement level detail, and that's where our focus remains. There was something that God was trying to show Daniel. There was something that God was trying to show His people. And he used this to do that. And so what I want to do for the remainder of Daniel is show at this level what it was God was trying to say, why he was trying to say it, how the people of Israel during that time were supposed to apply that, and how we're supposed to apply it today. All right, cool? And every once in a while, I might dive a little bit, but I, won't, I'm, I don't think I'm going to spend a lot of time diving in that. So... Again, talking about biblical prophecy, we, we spent some time a couple weeks ago talking about the significance of it. I want to look at a, the first biblical prophecy in, given. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. One of my children pointed out, Daddy, you preached from Daniel chapter 7 last week, and you, we didn't look at one verse in Daniel chapter 7. 
So we're definitely going to pull out a verse in Daniel chapter 7 today <laughs> so we can do that. But Genesis chapter 3, I want to look at the first prophecy ever given in the Bible. So if you go back with me to the book of Genesis, we know that Genesis means the beginning. Genesis is the book of firsts. Every single doctrine, every single way of life, every single thing that we need to know of how to act and live can be found in Genesis. It's there. Because it's the beginning. So in Genesis chapter 3, you know the situation. We got Adam and Eve. God created everything. God created Adam and Eve. Uh, he put him in the garden, this place, this special place that he created. In the garden, it was a bunch of things. It was animals. God gave Adam the responsibility to name all the animals. God put a bunch of trees and bushes. All these trees were there, beautiful trees, fruits. Uh, hundreds and thousands of fruits were there. God told Adam and Eve, listen, you can eat every single fruit you want to off of all these trees except for this one. Leave this one alone. Fear uh, of knowledge is good or evil. Adam said, okay, we good. Everything went to one day, Satan, who had been kicked out of heaven, remember Satan was one of Jesus' angels, one of God's angels, he had kicked out of heaven, he took a third of the angel population with them, those who the demons are, they're just angels, they're, they're, they didn't change forms or anything, they don't have horns now and look evil and vicious, they look just like the rest of the angels, because they were angels, according to the Bible. So he took one third of the angels with him, so the angels came down, Satan took the form of this serpent, rolled up on Eve, and we have the conversation. Did not God yes say? And he twisted God's word. He got Eve to eat the fruit. Eve went to her husband, Adam. We were still good. Even though Eve ate the fruit, we were still good. Okay? Because God instructed Adam not to eat the fruit. Adam was supposed to tell his wife. So we were still good. Even after Eve ate the fruit, all Adam had to say was, you know what? Honey, we're not doing that. Because God said no. And we would have been straight. But then Adam said the Bible says he took of the fruit and he ate it also. And because that came disobedience to God, God had a plan. God had a way. Adam said, I'm going to go my way. That's what disobedience to God is. That's what sin is. Sin is choosing my way over God's way. And because of sin, the Bible says that came with sin was death and destruction. And so right after Adam ate that fruit, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Jesus came around and I'm sorry, God came around and he started giving out some punishments. He told the serpent, because you've done this, this is going to happen to you. Then he got down, 14, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you and all livestock and, livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, on the dust you sh and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I'm going to pull up the KJV on this one uh, because there's a couple of words I want to focus on. Verse 15 says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. So we're going to look at a couple of things. This is the first prophecy ever given in the Bible. Now, the prophecy was fulfilled in Galatians chapter four. Paul talks about it. And in Matthew 120. But we're going to break down a little bit. First thing it says is that I will put enmity between you 
and the woman. And so the prophecy starts off, says the first thing, that there will be enmity between you and the woman. You was the serpent, which was Satan. And the woman, which represents mankind. There was going to be enmity between these two groups of people. We see that all throughout scriptures. Not only all throughout scriptures, but we see that throughout society. We see that throughout what we're going through in life. We see that throughout, uh, uh, we look on the news, we, we understand that enmity, that word means hostility. There's going to be a problem. There's going to be beef. All right, there's going to be beef continually between you. And we know that the Bible says that Satan, what's our relationship with Satan? The Bible says Satan seeks to kill, steal, and destroy us. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And so from the beginning, God said, listen, what's going to happen from now all the way to the end of times until I fix this whole thing is that there's going to be beef hostility, problems, issues, enmity between Satan and mankind. And we see that. We find that out in Genesis that God said this is going to happen. And that's what we see throughout Satan's entire idea is how can I destroy these people, saved or unsaved? So unsaved, how can I continue to destroy them so they don't understand the love and the peace and the grace and the mercy of Christ? And for saved folks, how can I continue to try to bring them hard times? How can I tempt them? How can I keep them living in bondage, not understanding and blind to the fact that they are free from sin? That's what happened when sin entered the world. The second thing that it says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. So here's the problem with that phrase. Not to get into any uh, specific detail, but we know how anatomy works, right? The woman, let me draw a woman here. <laughs> the woman we know has an egg. We know it's in animals also. And the man has the seed. And what happens is, when the seed and the egg get together, we have conception, which is a baby. Women have eggs. When the Bible says, we look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, between thy seed and her seed. The problem there, or the issue there, or the interesting phrase there, is her seed. Women don't have seeds. And so when God specifically say her seed, God is, he knew that women don't have seeds because he created women. The point he was making is that there is going to be a woman who has a seed in her that did not come from a man. So when we talk about a woman having a seed in her that did not come to man, we're talking about some type of supernatural, incredible event happening such that a woman will have a seed and therefore a woman would have a child without any man being involved. And so the phrase of her seed is a specific prophecy, a specific reference to Jesus Christ. The Bible says it was born of a virgin. The Bible says that when Joseph got with Mary, and <laughs> Joseph told Mary, uh, Mary said she was pregnant. Joseph was like, what's the deal? <laughs> I didn't even, we, I didn't even, uh, what's going on? 
And then he was like, well, well, we got to end this thing. I'm about to send this chick away, because what in the world? Angel came to him and said, listen, Joseph, chill. Don't worry. Even though she don't know no man, never been with no man, you're good. Because the child that is in her is not from a man. The child that is in her is from Jehovah God himself. We know that because in Genesis, God said that there will be enmity between your seed and her seed, her and him, Satan and mankind, and it says that it was represented by her seed. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. So now we're talking about Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy that there is going to be a child, a human, that is born from a woman that had nothing to do with no man. This is all the way in Genesis chapter 3. At the beginning, God knew what was about to happen and how he planned this thing out. Continuing the verse, it says, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now remember, God is talking to the serpent now, right? He's talking to Satan right now. He said it, so the it again refers to the seed. Let's look at the context. It shall bruise thy head. So it says that the seed, the woman's seed, which of course is Jesus, is going to, says bruise your, which was Satan's, head. Now, when we talk about this, there's a couple of ways these words, these verses have been interpreted. Bruise, you see bruise and bruise. One, uh, I think Young translates one of those, crush. And it says that Satan will, what's the word say? Bruise his, which is the seeds, heel. So we got a couple of things happening. We've got the seed bruising the head, and we got Satan bruising the heel. The word there, bruise, some translations say crush. The point is making that there's going to be some damage sent to something. So if you look at a person, two areas we're talking about, the head and the heel. One of these, if crushed, is a permanent situation. <laughs> now, one of them, if crushed, it's not permanent. It's temporary. There's going to be some healing to take place, and it takes time, and once the healing takes place, that area is back fixed again. If you get crushed in your head, you're dead. You get crushed or bruised and you heal, that's a temporary situation that's going on. Notice what the scripture says. We look at the last part first. It says, thou shalt bruise his heel. The Bible is already telling us in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan will deliver a blow to the seed, who is Jesus, but that blow would be a temporary, non-killing blow. It will not be, it will be a non-permanent blow. I like this, I read this. It will be a non-permanent blow to a non-vulnerable spot. What God is telling us in Genesis chapter 3, right after this whole thing popped off, right after he created everything, what he's telling us is that the seed of the woman who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would have to die. He's going to be bruised. He's going to be crushed. He would die, but that death would not be permanent. That death would be a temporary death because it is a blow to a non-vulnerable spot. The heel. We see that in Isaiah chapter 53. Keep your hand there real quick. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. 
in Isaiah 53. And, and you got to understand, this is the part that the, where the Jews really have the hardest problem with Jesus. The reason why the Jews had a problem with Jesus, believing that he was the Messiah in the Bible times, and some even today, was the fact that they knew that when the Messiah come, he would be king. The Messiah would be king. He's going to free us from this bondage of whoever was bondaging us at the time. And we were going to be free and be victorious and kill all our enemies. What they missed was the fact that the Bible said that the Messiah was going to die. They missed that. And so when Jesus came up, this is a lowly guy who walked around and he died. It was like, okay, well, that couldn't have been the Messiah because the Messiah can't die. The Messiah's going to be our Savior. He's going to be the king. When Jesus and God told us that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that the Messiah would come and that he would die. He would receive a blow to his heel. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Not only was the prophecy in Genesis, the prophecy came up a little bit later in Isaiah, still way before Jesus was born. Chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. That he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The Bible talks about what the Messiah is going to have to go through. Look at verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. There's that word there. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. God told us in Genesis chapter 3, reminding us again in Isaiah chapter 53, that this seed of a woman is going to die. But take heart. The punish, the, the, the pain or the blow is going to be only to his heel, temporary. Now, the second part says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed, thy seed and her seed, thou shalt bruise his heel, and it shall bruise thy head. It shall bruise thy head. What God told Satan was that this seed that's going to come from a woman, which don't make no sense unless the seed was put there by something outside the woman. This seed is going to bruise, Young's translation says, crush your head. I remember who they're talking to. He's talking to Satan. What God said is that, listen, though there's going to be enmity, though it's going to be conflict, though it's going to be problems, though it's going to be trying to seek to kill and destroy. Though he's going to be looking to devour you. Though you're going to have all these issues of this Satan trying to do his best to cause problems and pain in your life. One day. And even though Satan looks like he's winning because he's going to go to the sea and he's going to bruise the heel of this, even the sea. But understand this, that the seed, who is the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, will crush the head of Satan. The Bible says God told us all the way from Genesis how this thing is going to play out. And that eventually Satan and all his powers and all of his authority, I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see, and all those things that Satan has is going to be destroyed and crushed by the Messiah. The interesting thing about the seed is that the fact that it's, it's a seed of a woman, what that also lets us know is that this seed is going to be born without the natural process of ordinary generation. 
born without the natural process, but it's going to be some type of supernatural. That means that he's going to be free from all the things that came from this guy. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter uh, 5, 4, 5, and 6, is that after the sin of Adam, sin entered the world, and every person that came from the seed of Adam had sin because Adam sinned. So Adam sinned, and his seed Cain sinned, and Seth and Abel, and then their seeds, and their seeds, and their seeds, and their seeds. So what happened with this seed that came from Adam, sin transferred or went through all the way down to get to me and you, baby eating all of us. Because we all come from the seed of a man. Because this, her seed, the Messiah, did not come from a seed of a man, guess what the Messiah does not have? Sin. And so in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible, God told us that this Messiah, not only would he crush Satan, not only would he be born of some supernatural, he would also be sinless. Genesis chapter 3, all this stuff is here prophesied in the beginning for us to know and understand and see. The significance of that is that the Messiah, the seed, could not have sinned. Because if Messiah had sinned, then the Messiah could not save us because the Messiah would also be in the same predicament as we were. And so in order for the Messiah to be a savior, the Messiah had to be outside of the predicament that we're in. He couldn't be sick. That's why he had to be born of the seed of a woman. thus remaining free from Adam's sin. Romans chapter 16, verse 20, real quick. God told him and told us in Genesis chapter 3 that the second time, that even the second coming of Christ, the first time he was going to get his heel bruised or his heel crushed, but the second time he was going to come and deliver that final fatal blow to Satan. Romans 16 verse 20, Paul is talking and he says this, the God of peace will soon, look at that word, crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. From the beginning, God told us what was going to happen. And as we look at prophecy, what's, um, well, the point I want to bring out is that we can believe what God said is true. One of the reasons we can believe what God said is true, what God said is going to happen is going to happen, is because every single thing that God said was going to happen actually happened and played out exactly like he said it would. And so when God says that don't worry about this whole Satan thing, don't worry about when you see all this punishment and crime and craziness and, 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 and all these issues that are going on in the world, because one day I'm going to put an end to that because I am going to crush the head of Satan. And so we can have peace in that. We can move forward in that. We don't have to get determined or depressed. Oh, life is so hard, or I'm just so this, or I can't go on, or I can't believe this, or I'm so, all these things are happening to me, or I'm not happy, or I'm not saying, say, 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 listen, listen, listen. Don't worry. The Bible says that God is going to crush Satan and all his devices and all those things that come along with it. And so I can have peace. Things are hard right now. Oh, I can have peace. Why? Because what the word said is true. 
Oh, things ain't going well for me right now. I can have peace. Why? Because what God said is true. What God said he was going to do, he is going to do it because he's never lied. I think it's uh, in Jonah. The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Which signifies that we men lie. And women lie too. If men, I think there's this general. <laughs> not, just, not just you, Los. Not saying you're a liar. I'm just, just saying. The, the Messiah rose and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is waiting to return and terminate the conflict. This conflict that started in Genesis with the enmity, this hostility, this back and forth, the Bible says that the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, will come. And though he is going to be bruised on his heel, he's going to die. He's going to overcome this, the Bible says, and then he's going to deliver that fatal and final blow to Satan and shut that whole thing down. Prophecy is a revelation of God's omniscience. You got to be smart. <laughs> all smart. You got to be knowing, all knowing, to right after you created everything to say, oh, yeah, by the way, this is what's going to happen. Laid the plan of salvation. It's right there. The plan of salvation is right there in Genesis chapter 3. Prophecy not only shows God's omniscience, prophecy also shows God's omnipotence, his power, his sovereignty. And that, as you turn back to the book of Daniel, is what Daniel's all about. Daniel is whole thing. We talked about the two concepts of Daniel. One, how do I, someone from the kingdom of God, how do I live, move, operate in the kingdom of Babylon? The second important thing with Daniel is the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. That's why he can say, oh, by the way, this is what's going to happen. Because he's the one that's in charge. He's the one that's in control. He's the one who does what he wants to do. I read this in my studies. It said, God explicitly weaves together the fabric of human history to accomplish his purposes. Think about that. God explicitly weaves together the fabric of human history to accomplish his purposes. God has a purpose, a plan. It started in Genesis. It didn't start when Olu was born. What's that, Olu? Okay, okay, Olu, let me get a plan. Let me put a plan together. Uh, this is what I'm going to do. No, no, no. This was in Genesis. He had a plan, and he's going to weave the fabric of human history. All the things that happened in human history. Yes, Hitler, Stalin, all those guys. He's weaving all this stuff that's happening to ensure that his purposes are accomplished. Think about Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. Joseph minded his business. Well, he wasn't minding his business. He was bragging to his brothers a lot. Because God was showing them stuff. And one day I'm going to be in charge of you, even mom and daddy. And his brothers got pretty much sick and tired of it. They threw him in the pit. They wouldn't let him die. Big brother Reuben said, nah, we can't let him die. I'm going to come back and get him. They were out chilling. The other brothers came and said, you know what? Here come some Egyptians. How about we sell him to the Egyptians? That way we don't kill him, and we get him out of our hair, and we get some money. And so he sold Joseph to Egypt. So Joseph went from chilling to in a pit, from a pit to a slave. And remember all the stuff. He got in trouble at the house he was working at. He got thrown in jail. He was in jail. People forgot him. All this stuff was going on. In the end, he got promoted. He was the second in command in all of Egypt. His brothers came back. 
They asked for forgiveness. He said, don't worry about it. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God had planned all the thing out. But what was interesting and what was I've never really focused on, the fact that not only did, was Joseph's life as an individual marked with God's hand, you can see God's hand. Okay, huh? This, put him in the pit. Uh-huh. This, okay. So let me get some Egyptians. Egyptians, and now, here they come. Okay, good. Now I need his brothers to see the Egyptians. There they go. Oh, they see him. And why don't you want to sell them? Then they're going to sell them. Good. All right, now go. Now, Potiphar, where you at? You need to come to the auction and buy them. Yes, Potiphar bought them. Great. Now, where's wife at? Wife, I need you to act like a. Okay, there we go. Good, good, good. I, I didn't do it. Good. Now, throw a Potiphar. What you going to do? You got to throw him in jail. You know your wife's a liar. And uh, anyway, but you still got to throw him in jail. So throw him in jail. Boom. Now, why are you in jail? We know that God was working all those things out. But what the interesting is that God, not only was he working that out with the dreams, but the larger events of history, God was also working on out. Because remember, that whole thing don't work if there's no famine. If there's no famine, you just got a kid stuck in a pit <laughs> in jail. But the fact that there was a famine, so that means God had to set up a famine. That means that before the famine, God had to say, okay, now the entire earth is going to be without food. Not only is he working the individual things that goes on in our life, but God is also working the larger events of history, weaving them into his plan so that no matter what happens, the narrative is all orchestrated by God to accomplish his will. So take comfort in knowing that God is orchestrating my life, but it's so much bigger than that. All those things that we see that's going on in the world that we can't control, that we can't touch, that we sometimes get discouraged by, God is orchestrating all of that. And it's all tying into my individual life and Naya's individual life and Jaylene's individual life. All that's tying in because God's will is going to be accomplished because God is sovereign. He set this thing off. He's going to bring this thing to the end, even all the way to the crushing of Satan and his demons and uh, his devices to the end. What prophecies always shows us the knowledge and the mind of God. You don't have to turn there. But in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, prophet Amos says, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his prophets, to his servants, the prophets. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, one of my favorite verses. I can quote it in the King James. It says, God, who in sundry times and diverse manners spoke in time past to the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his son. God spoke to us through the prophets, and he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 19, Peter says this, And we have the, watch this, the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. What Peter said in the King James, he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Sure, we have all these prophecies that told us all these things, and the prophecies said these, and these just came true. But what Peter said is, though through all these prophecies, we have a more sure word of prophecy, and that is through the majestic glory of Jesus Christ, the beloved Son of God the Father. You remember the story of the transformation? 
Mount Transfiguration, when Jesus was on the mountain and he had three disciples with him and Moses came down and Elijah came down and they saw this and it was incredible. Peter said, we have a more sure word of prophecy than even that. The fact of Jesus Christ actually being here in the word of God. In the current chaos and the suffering that's going on and an unknown and the confusion and the pain and the heartache and all the stuff you may be going through, understand that we have a more sure word of prophecy given to us by the word of God. And lastly, prophecy gives us comfort and hope. In Romans, back to Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says this, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have all those prophecies, all the word of God was written so that we may have hope. So in your life, when tomorrow is unknown, when you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, when times are hard, when you're confused, you just can't figure it out, when you're feeling this way one day and feeling that way another day, and you don't really know what's going on, you can't put your finger on it, when you can't figure your way out, you might be caught up in something, might be either in your mind or actually physically something, and you can't figure your way out. The word of God, Paul said, they were written for our instructions that through endurance and encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. That's why God has given us this prophecy. And we're going to go into 7, 8, 9, and 10. I didn't read chapter 7 at all today, did I? We'll, we'll, we'll get it next time. That's a guarantee. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that in the beginning in Genesis, you told us what was going to happen. We thank you, God, as we saw through history, we can look back and see it play forth exactly as you said. And with that, God, we know that since your word was true in the past, your word is true today and your word will be true tomorrow. So I pray, God, that we as world engines, I pray, God, that we as followers of you, that we will live a life of encouraged and not be distraught and distressed or depressed with what's going on in life right now, what's going through ourselves right now, God, but that we'll be encouraged knowing that you are working this thing out, not only in our individual life, but you are working even those large, big scale, massive universal situations out and weaving that all together to accomplish your purpose and your sovereign plan. May we find hope in that and peace in that. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.